about them Irish. I can't take it anymore. I need a national championship. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. Pressure coming here. On the right, fake to Armstrong, run, book five, bucket to the end zone, touchdown, Ian Book! That was somehow a game Notre Dame really should have won, but at the same time, one we were really fortunate to win. I'm joined by Steve. This is the Four Horsemen podcast. We're ready with another another one for you. Steve, what did you think of the Virginia Tech game? A lot of negatives. <clears throat> a lot of positives. I think that's been kind of a, a running theme um, over the over the last handful of weeks, and I guess you could say for the entirety of our season so far. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that make me want to pull the hair out of my head. There's a lot of things where, um, you know, I'm, I'm really amped up and, and excited and think that this team could be, uh, truly something special. Obviously it's a little bit too late for this season, but looking forward. So yeah, man, that, um, it was a thriller. It was, it was, it was definitely a thriller, but it, you know, it, it would have been, a lot nicer to cover the the fourteen and a half point spread. To be frank, yeah, it felt like a lot of Kelly games in his early days, where like Notre Dame would be beating teams like Purdue by like one point on a field goal to to end the game. It was just really sloppy. Um, it was one where in the first half, really Notre Dame should have been up like twenty eight nothing. Like the the Virginia Tech offense was so bad, and then Notre Dame was moving the ball, but they would just kind of shoot themselves in the foot. And then at the same time, Notre Dame was just so bad that they didn't really deserve to win. It's it's a really weird um, paradox here where, like, they were the way better team, but also we were awful. Um, so it's it's hard to, I think, assess that and, and just kind of reflect on what the hell we watched. Um, I think we should probably just kind of get, uh, get right into it, um, see what the stats have to bear out, because I think it can kind of give us an idea of how the game was played. So just some key ones here. First downs, Notre Dame led uh, Virginia Tech 25 to 12. Um, total yards gained, Notre Dame 442 versus Virginia's 240. So Notre Dame um, double or practically doubled uh, Virginia Tech in total yards. Uh, yards per attempt thrown, 6.3 for the Irish, 5.0 for Virginia Tech. Um, rushing yards per attempt, um, the same for both teams, 2.8, which is pretty miserable. Um, Notre Dame had two turnovers, Virginia Tech had three, um, forced turnovers that is, and Notre Dame actually um, had more possession than Virginia Tech in the game. So really, when I kind of look at that, you think, wow, Notre Dame won by about 20 points. They doubled them first down, doubled them in yards, they were more effective everywhere, and at the same time, we were losing for the better part of the second half. Um, it's a really weird game where we should have put them away early. We were a much better team. I, I had said that in the group chat, too. Is like, I'm not worried. We're way better than Virginia Tech. And then the game just kept going along and along, and Notre Dame just wasn't really interested in winning the game. That's kind of how it was. It was like maybe the last five minutes of the game, Notre Dame was like, okay, we should probably try now. 
And uh, it's weird because I don't know if we deserve to win. We got really lucky. Um, a lot had to go our way. We had a, a last-minute drive against a bad team at home. When you consider all these factors, it's understandable why the fan base is thinking, God, we stuck. That was an awful game. But when you look at the stats a little a little closer, Notre Dame tend to dominate the game. Um, they weren't chasing it for most of it. It was, it was a one-score game. We were leading for a bit, too. So it, it's a really weird one. It's one where I can't really wrap my head around it. Do, do you have any thoughts there? So I think this might have been a little bit before your time because this was uh, kind of the introduction of my fandom, um, which would have been Charlie Weiss's first year or was it his, his second year. It all gets a little foggy at this point. Uh, <clears throat> so it was 2006, and it was um, this was the Bush push year. Uh, so Notre Dame after oh, five. losing... I, th- I think it might have been 05, possibly 06. Um, I, I don't have we, the... We play SC at home on odd-numbered years. Yeah. And I think the Bush push was at Notre Dame 05. Uh, okay, so this was the next year after. Uh, this was in 2006, on October 21st, nonetheless. So almost a couple you know, years later to the day. And uh, we played UCLA. We were 5-1. and one. Uh, UCLA was 4-2. and two. You know, UCLA, decent program. Virginia Tech, decent program. Uh, but by all means, you know, Notre Dame at the time was ranked number 10 overall. You know, heading into this game, we were ranked 16th overall. And Notre Dame was winning in the game. Uh, and then it looks like um, UCLA had pulled ahead. You know, it was tight at half, about 14-10, then 14-13. Then... Um, you know, UCLA pulled ahead with a field goal midway through the fourth, 17-13, and it was a Brady Quinn 45-yard touchdown pass with about 27 seconds left to Jeff Sarmarja, which ended up being the difference maker. So it was 20-17, to Notre Dame won that game. Uh, Brady Quinn on that day had about 304 yards, two touchdown passes. So fundamentally, this this game played a little bit like that. <clears throat> Now, what's concerning is, as we've much discussed and 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 uh, gone back and forth and mentions multiple times, Notre Dame as a program is at its twenty-five to thirty-year peak. So we shouldn't be having to basically replay games from two thousand and six. Right now, we, we we had a crap game last year against Pittsburgh, and uh, you know ended up with a, a late touchdown pass with only a few minutes left. It was technically a come from behind victory. We win nineteen fourteen, I think, was the final score. We know that you know it, it's football. Every once in a while, your team's going to lay a stinker. Tough teams will persevere, and tough teams will win. And we showed our perseverance, our toughness, our grit, and and that's all great things. These are all positive qualities. To be pinned very deep, very late, and to have that final drive was uh, the the final drive was awesome. Um, it's just concerning. You know, you look directionally with the program. We should be past these type of games, but uh, on the same side of the token, you have to understand that this type of game will just sometimes happen regardless of the program so it's it's a very bittersweet come from behind victory because there's there's a lot of upside i think to take from it uh there's also 
plenty to be very concerned with because basically up until that final drive, uh, even though we were outperforming them, I think that the game was by and large a failure up until that point. So um, I have a million thoughts per usual all over the place in every general direction. But uh, Dylan, any any thoughts that you had, any uh, any comparisons or stats or anything that pops out to you, please take it away. Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point of uh, playing a game as if it was in 2006. Um, when you look at win probability um, calculated by ESPN, and of course this doesn't mean this is going to happen, it's just if you were to run a simulation a bunch of times, this is probably what's going to happen X percentage of times. Um, to start the game, um, Notre Dame was 93.4% likely to win, which is absurd, which I even think is really high. But... That's based on ESPN's calculations. It's a home game. It's against Virginia Tech. Notre Dame is at least 20 spots ahead of them in efficiency scores. It's understandable. The lowest it got was near the end of the game where Virginia Tech had a 92.4% chance of winning. It had completely flipped. The start of the game until the end of the game, Virginia Tech, um, it was third and three. Notre Dame was pinned on their own 20. There was about three minutes left in the football game. That was the lowest point for win probability that Notre Dame has had and end up winning. And that just seems so much or so typical 2000s, 2010 era Notre Dame football where you are expected to blow out the team you're playing. I mean, were there what they were a three score favorite, I think, at least at the start of the week, 93.4% chance to win the game. And then you have to come from behind inside of, you know, three or four minutes to win the game. That's just, that's not good. That's not progress. It does happen. Um, we tend to be good at coming back in those situations against poorer teams. Um, but I think you kind of hit it on the head there, bringing up a game from 06, um, which I think is that, I think that's the famous highlight where Shark takes a, a big catch breaks a few tackles, and then hops into the end zone for uh, what is the game-winning score. Yeah. Um, that That's a really great one. I didn't watch that game. Obviously, I started watching in 09. Um, that was Kelly's first year. Um, but I've seen all that stuff. I know my history. Um, it, it, there's a lot to take from that game. Um, it's one where I wasn't too bothered. I was just kind of watching it hysterically, thinking, like, God, this is, this is going to get worse. Um, but I wasn't too emotionally invested. I think once you're eliminated from that playoff, your investment in Notre Dame is still very much, um, it's still very high, but you kind of ease back a little. <laughs> it's not life or death every game. Um, but did you take a look at Ian Book at all, his statistics in that game? Because he's a hot topic uh, following the Virginia Tech game. Uh, just going eyeball tests alone, I could tell you he did not have a good game. <clears throat> Yeah, he um, the last drive played himself into a, a you know into the graces of fans, um, but he let me just double check how many pass attempts he had here. Was it fifty nine pass attempts? Am I correct? Something like that. Yeah, he completed fifty four point seven percent of them. Fifty three passes. Uh, he right. threw the ball fifty three times against Virginia Tech. That's what's the most concerning to me is why is uh, why is Ian Book throwing the ball, the ball 53 times against Virginia Tech? Um, now, he had, like, statistically, you look at the sheet, if he puts up those numbers against Georgia, I'd say, okay. Like, 
obviously you have to throw the ball more, have to abandon the run. You have to stretch the ball. You have to get it downfield. 350 yards passing against a Georgia defense. Okay. Two interceptions, not great. Two touchdowns, good. You know, that that would generally put us at, at about 20, 17 to 20 points against Georgia again, which I think all things considered may have given us a chance to beat them. Not against Virginia Tech. <laughs> so, um, uh, it's, it's, uh, I don't even know. So, but yeah, I, I have seen the statistics. I'm sure that you can go into more of a, a dive here now. Uh, what I did want to share really quickly, and, and I'm sorry if I'm getting way out of, ahead of our skis is, is this is actually a tweet that I shared within the, the group chat. Uh, you know, like we're, we're always just doing our own research and, uh, just, you know, picking uh, little tidbits from the internet. Uh, Pete Sampson, He's a writer for the Athletic, uh, you know, Notre Dame writer, and he is a pretty prominent Notre Dame voice within the media. Uh, he tweeted out earlier today, or or late last night, I apologize. Um, Brian Kelly said to the media that today was the first time that Ian Book has scored in a two-minute drive all year, including practice. That means that you, like you literally have to practice the two minute drill, and he would have been practicing this since June, not completing a touchdown or you know score until just yesterday. So great to overcome that, but like, what are we doing here? Yeah, he uh, he wasn't really good. I mean. The fan base was really going after him during the game. But after the game, you start seeing things like, well, you know, he handled the pressure. He won the game, yada, yada, yada. Well, I don't think we would be in that spot if he actually had played well. And we definitely would have been in that spot if we didn't have a certain receiver we'll get to later. But Ian Book on that game, um, just some key stuff to bring out. He averaged 6.3 yards per attempt. We had talked about that earlier. That's not good enough. It just isn't. And his QBR scores, the raw score was 59, which is, again, not good. It was adjusted up to 65.3. Um, perhaps that's flipped. Perhaps that was adjusted down to 59, but I think that's the raw score and then the adjusted score, which isn't great. It's not good enough for Notre Dame football, and I think it's just something we're going to have to get over. We're going to have to somehow find a way to improve on that because he has regressed down to this his qbr scores last year were in the 80s he ended up i think around 80 on the dot this year he's in the 60s and when you're playing virginia tech at home you shouldn't be in the 60s you should be kind of beating them pretty good especially when you're at home um and that kind of prompted the students in the fourth quarter i don't know if you guys have heard this there was reports that the student section started chanting urban meyer's name and I bring that up because we did a poll on Twitter if you guys would have Urban Meyer, which 76% of you in a pretty decent sample size um, had said yes, which is, I think, good. I think we can't be uh, moral, and I use the quotation marks there, we can't be morally superior, I think, in this case. When it comes to a coach, I want to win a football game. I want to win a football championship. But anyway, um, that's just something that's very interesting to see that the fan base is starting to call for it. When you see USC reports that USC is going after Meyer, it really kind of lights a fire under your own ass. 
And uh, I think that's going to be something interesting to watch for the rest of the year is how Urban Meyer is courted by the fan bases, if he's even interested in coaching. Um, but it's it shows that, you know, I think there's an appetite for change at Notre Dame. What do you think, Steve? So I was one of the correspondents that answered no. I do not want Urban Meyer hmm. for the exact reason that you mentioned is is keeping our moral superiority. And I know this is something that we're, you and I will have a healthy disagreement about. Um, in a perfect world, yes, you get the best football coach which, who's going to come in and just win football games regardless. Like win, 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 win. It's all about winning. Just win. That's it. I want a national championship more than anything. Um, it's literally one of the quotes of the of the, uh, the opening like music that we have. <laughs> um, but... I think there is a net positive. I think that Notre Dame should be the model for every single program in the nation. You don't get on the field. You don't even get recruited unless you have a 3.0. You don't stay on the field unless you have a certain GPA. You are a student athlete. 2% of kids that are ever going to touch a football or step foot on a field are ever going to make it to the NFL. And then once you make it, if you make it to the NFL, your chances of staying in the league for longer than two, uh, th- longer than three years, basically making it out of your rookie contract, are you, you basically have a better shot at winning the Powerball. So if if we are actually doing right by the individual, it would be to educate them, to make sure that they are disciplined, to make sure that they are making wise, intelligent, grown-up decisions on the cl- uh, on the field in the classroom and in their personal life. And I think that is something that Notre Dame does well. So yes, this is me speaking down from my high horse right now. I understand it's, it's kind of a, a preachy type of thing. Um, but I, th- that's what I, that's what I, for me personally is one of those things where when we finally get over the hump, when we finally have that frigging, championship raised you know that trophy raised above our heads we could say we did it the right way and we still beat you 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 scumbag son of a bitches you know the way that Meyer has left behind every program that he's touched with the exception of Ohio State and this is very recent so we'll see how the future plays out but I think they'll they'll pretty much be pretty stable he's left everything everything that he's touched in shambles. I mean, Florida has up until this year stunk. Uh, Utah for a very long time was kind of, you know, so I, I don't want to invite a, uh, a culture of win at all costs and throw these young men, you know, just make these young men dispensable. Uh, And then they're, you know, they're just numbers. They're just pieces of meat that we can use and abuse and they can go and and do drugs and, you know, get in trouble with the police and who, who cares? Like, that's just not something that I want. And again, I, I know that I'm preaching. I understand that completely. It's my personal view. So that's why I did, would not want to have Urban Meyer I, and and this is where we would differ, but again, you know, I I understand your rationale, you understand my rationale, and this is kind of the the beauty of healthy discourse. So that's that's my my view on it. I understand uh, no one 
wants to see a champ a national championship trophy in South Bend more than myself. There's just certain um, there's certain things that I'm not willing to sacrifice for it. That's that's my view on the matter. No, I think that's fair. I think that's something a respectful point of view. Um, I guess I should probably disagree and kind of explain where I disagree. Um, I see two issues with this. There's a moral issue and then there's an academic issue. These are two different things. And I think the Notre Dame flaws with both of them. So on the moral side, I don't buy the argument that we're morally superior to other programs because we've had instances of awful things happen at our school too. Michael Floyd had a million DUIs. Prince Shembo may or may not have raped a girl who then killed herself. Um, we've had academic issues. Javon McKinley punched a lady cop in the face. See, and I just don't think that Notre Dame really has much of a ground to claim that they're morally superior when they have these things happen because, look, these things happen. I, I don't see the point in trying to hide from them, pretend they don't happen, or pretend that we're superior to you because they happen to you, but they happen to us too. Um, so I don't buy the Notre Dame a superior morally thing. I think it's one of the reasons why people hate us as fans as we have this. Part of it could be, you know, the kind of religious ties to the Catholic school, but part of it is just two people thinking that they're better than others. Um, and then I have an issue with the academic side of things on for two reasons. One, with the fans with regards to academics, and then two, with the university with regard to academics. So with the fans, it's the bigger issue. Our fan base is mostly Subway alumni. I'm Subway alumni. You're Subway alumni. I'm guaranteeing most of the listeners here have not gone to Notre Dame. I don't understand why people who've never gone to Notre Dame and have no stake in the university's academics, who are cheering for Notre Dame solely for the football program or the other athletic programs, why they care so much about the academic standards. It's not your school. We're here for football. We're here to win. I don't know why you guys give a shit what the Notre Dame academic standard is like, and I don't know why you're bragging about it to other schools. The second thing I have is with the university itself, you can have a really high prestigious academic program, but you don't need all the barriers you currently have. And this is my problem with them. There are other great schools out there, Boston College, Michigan, Vanderbilt, um, where they're great schools. They're ranked highly in university rankings. Notre Dame usually isn't because they're a smaller school in world rankings, but they're highly ranked, they're prestigious schools. And they don't have the same standards. They still have GPA standards. They still give you an education, which you were talking about. They still give a young man and young woman all that stuff. But the requirements are lower. And my problem with Notre Dame is I don't know why you think you can be winning championships when you have these and what I call needlessly high academic standards. You're, you're going that one step above. This is a it's a football program. Make no mistake about this. The school is known for football. That's first and foremost. And I don't think we need to have standards, but we don't need to have that level of standards. And on the flip side, I don't know why the fans want to enforce them. You guys never went there. Who cares if Notre Dame standards are at the level of Stanford, or at the level of Michigan? Those are both great schools. Notre Dame's a great school. It's just, I think if we want to win, your recruiting pool needs to be as great as possible. So one, lowering the GPA standards to get in and to stay on the field. And then two, people with a bad past don't necessarily need to be excluded. That's the thing with Notre Dame. There's this mindset, well, Randy Moss, you know what, he had a racially charged fight back in the day. We can't take him. That looks bad. Well, guess who loses there? We lose. He loses. He doesn't get to go to a good school. And I feel like 
just this very high ethics standard and this high moral standard and and academic standard is just negatively affecting this program where you can take reasonable measures to loosen up on them and still have a very integral school with a lot of integrity and a lot of honor and a lot of prestige, but you have more talent coming in. And this is the problem I have with Notre Dame is that just they refuse to bend the rules. And even when they do or when they don't, it doesn't help them. The example is we reported a very minimal academic standard that didn't even involve a football staff, involved in a student um, mentor and a player on the team. We reported that to the NCAA. The NCAA then took away our wins. They vacated 21 wins and the bowl wins from Notre Dame for self-reporting an academic scandal that was not even a scandal. So it's like you're you screwed if you do and you screw if you don't. And it's just to me, it's not working out. I think it's so just you know arrogant of us, especially of fans who've never went there to be like, well, our, our academic standards cannot be compromised. Come on, guys, we got to relax a little. And if we do want Urban Meyer, which you know seventy six percent of you want, why would he come to Notre Dame with the, with these standards? Why would you not go to USC, right? Notre Dame, yes, Notre Dame's a bigger program. Notre Dame's one or more. I mean, winning at Notre Dame is more. But USC's close. USC's a close, you know, second or third program. But on top of that, better weather, easier standards, pretty girls. You can win. You have a path to the playoff, less media pressure. It's just, I don't know how we are more attractive than Southern Cal unless he's really dead set on his quote-unquote dream job. I think that we just have to loosen up and realize that this isn't the 50s anymore. This is not when every Catholic kid in America who's talented is coming to Notre Dame. It's not the case anymore. Recruiting is tougher. We have regional divides where kids stay in their regions. And sorry to say, but Indiana sucks for football. It's just, it would be a lot easier for us to just accept this new reality, move into the new world, and I think just ease up a little bit. But I do understand, um, like Steve had said, I think Steve makes a very good point. Um, about Urban Meyer. Um, there are some definitely concerns about him, but uh, that's just my point of view. I'll, I'll let you get uh, your thoughts in there. Um, and uh, yeah, no, but thanks for bringing it up. Absolutely. And, and you know, again, this is all healthy discourse because we have you know fundamentally completely different viewpoints, but we all agree on the same thing. Is one, we want each of these kids to live better and do better on the field and off the field. And and two, we just want to make sure that we're getting in terms of a pure athlete, the top tier that we could possibly get, because this is Notre Dame football. This should be a national contention team every single year. There should not be any four and eight seasons. Never again. Hashtag never again. It should never happen ever again. <clears throat> if urban Meyer were to come in and, and, they're, and, and they have just a plan in place where they know that if Notre Dame can still be, I, I guess, to a point somewhat strict in regards to making sure that the, the guys that come in are regimented and that there is going to be some, you know, a level of discipline. If, if you're going to screw around and get a DUI or punch a cop or do something stupid, you are going to be disciplined. You are going to miss game times, potentially get kicked off the team if obviously it's a bad enough offense. Um, like you know, when I think specifically of like Janoris Jenkins, who was in Florida, who was like a flat out criminal, and then obviously we know like you know Aaron Hernandez, but like you know, bad bad actors shouldn't hold 
uh, you know, they should be reprimanded and they should be told the word no. A lot of these kids don't hear the word no. When you're from a small town in freaking Louisiana and, you know, you're getting paid potentially, you know, a few thousand bucks over the course of the season from boosters just to play high school football and then you're wooed by massive programs, you know, everyone think, knows, tells you that you're the man, you're the best, you know, your teachers don't hold you accountable in the classroom. And then you know, you're never told no your entire life. And then a girl at a party in college tells you no, and then you can't accept that. Then we got a mess on our hands. We owe it to the generations coming forward to, to be better. So I, th- again, there's, there's things I'm not willing to compromise, but if, the, if Urban Meyer were to come in and there's, and we know for a fact that we have a plan put in place, uh, where, where there's certain things that we're, we're going to make sure that there, there's basically an accountability, but we're also going to be able to attract, uh, you know, higher quality athletes than, than I'd be for that. Um, you know, I just, I think that. The, those athletes are out there and, and the, the world is evolving. Yes, we know that, but you know, we, we, in the, in the past couple months have pulled, you know, five-star Chris Tyree out of Virginia. We've pulled five-star Jordan Johnson out of uh, Missouri. We've, we have Drew Pine from Connecticut. We have Tyler Buckner from Southern California. We just in the uh, l- last week talked about getting talent from Columbus, Ohio, and then also Athens, Georgia. We still have a national appeal to very yep. elite talent. Um, I, and, and kind of just exactly as I described last week, I think that we've always had a lot of talent on every Notre Dame roster since I've been watching. It's just a matter of everything always coming together at the right time. We have the defense, we have the offensive line. I think we have skilled players this year coming back full circle. I don't think the quarterback play has caught up to the rest of the skill, but, um, would I be totally opposed to urban Meyer? I, I suppose, you know, I, the argument can be made that yes, if 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 things were going to be done the right way, but we can also get a top tier coach, uh, which I still think Kelly is a great coach, and I love Brian Kelly. It's just, um, you know, we've had we've had plenty of sample size, and there seems to be a, a bit of stubbornness about him. Uh, and and I, this is a, a conversation I guess we can now transition into uh, in regards to adaptability with Brian Kelly. Um, you know, for one thing, learning how to play football in the rain, like not throwing 30 times in the middle of a monsoon, Clemson, you know, North Carolina State or uh, Michigan. And then also having the understanding that you need to win football games. And when you have a quarterback that is feast or famine, sometimes he's incredibly efficient and just hitting all his passes. And then you're driving the ball down the field and you have the ball on the goal line and it's 14, seven, and you're basically about to score a touchdown, put the game away, you know, f- kind of freak accident, change that. Okay. That's great. But then there's also when the famine comes in, the offense is flat out anemic. Uh, and, and we cannot move the ball. We cannot, you know, third down is, is like, Every third down is is you might as well just like walk away from the television because it's not worth watching, and this is an adaptation that needs to be made. And I, I, I think I'm after viewing this game, I'm a, I'm a little bit more steadfast in my view that Phil Jerkovic should be starting over Ian Book. And I know I just spoke a lot and I ranged on a lot of different topics, and and I can obviously ramble. I have ADHD, which I apologize for. So if there's anything that you wanted to interject or counterpoint or or please I mean, take it away, I, I spoke for quite some time. 
No, that's fine. I think everybody appreciates hearing your uh, thoughts. I mean, you're a very thoughtful person um, and you, you articulate really well. The only thing I wanted to bring up in respect to one thing you had said, um, you had brought up a case of someone who has never been told no in his life. And then when he gets to a party and a girl says no, it could be a mess and you want someone who will hold them accountable. And that's where kind of issues with Urban Meyer might come in. Um, I fully agree. I don't think anybody wants offenders or people who will be serious offenders. I don't mean like doing pot or, you know, stealing a car, like not shit like that, but you know <laughs> doing, what I mean. Doing pot. <laughs> doing, doing the pot. Um, <laughs> I, I, nobody wants them. But here's the thing that I just find hypocritical about Notre Dame is just that this situation kind of has happened before. We don't know. We're not going to say one way or another. The There's been, uh, of course, an accusation, uh, five, six years ago that a football player had raped a student and the student later killed herself because nobody believed her. Um, and when you said you want someone to be held accountable and that might be an issue with Ebra Meyer, my only counter to that would be, well, it's happened and that player wasn't held accountable. You know, Brian Kelly didn't hold him accountable. That maybe, And maybe it was a false accusation. We're not going to take sides on this at all uh, with regards to the claim. But there has been an instance where there's been an accusation of that specific thing at a party being told no that resulted in the suicide and there was no real repercussions there was investigation from police and that's we're not going into that at all it's just i don't know if we could say well we can't ever admire because he won't hold them accountable for that and then that's our current situation i just think it's a little hypocritical from the university standpoint to say well our issues like maybe with domestic violence that's something urban meyer didn't report on well maybe it would have happened at notre dame already too we don't know it it's just i don't know if I don't think that should be our test for whether or not Urban Meyer should come in because I think we're pretty bad for that already, just like a lot of places are. Um, and again, that could have been totally a false accusation. I don't know. It could have been true. We're not getting into that. It's just something that has come up before. But I think we've spent a really good deal of time on this, and I think you made some excellent points. Um, I'd love to hear from the listeners what you guys think because you guys voted, and I'd like to hear reasons why because um, I didn't know Steve – uh, was on that side. So this is a surprise to me and I was really glad we could talk about it. But I think we should just kind of move on for the sake of time here. Um, for Horseman, I got one. Again, Chase Claypool. Like the Michigan game, it's nowhere near as bad as the Michigan game, but I couldn't find it in myself to award anybody on that team with a Horseman. I just didn't think it was good. I didn't think it was a good game. Um, I thought Chase Claypool was an absolute monster, right? He had eight receptions for 118 yards, and he averaged 14.8. But the key there, the, you know, the problem with stats is sometimes you missed important moments. Holy hell, did that kid ever have some clutch catches, right? There's the toe tap, which we're going to get into. And then there's, like, on that drive, right? I think it's, like, is it third or fourth down? I think it's fourth down. That was fourth and, down and 10. It was a 25-yard oh, perception. And what a beautiful post route. Kind of uh, runs straight, kind of fakes going to the, the boundary and then cuts inside. Huge catch, gets tackled in around the 10. Just, man, he's so good. He is so good. Um, and just before we get into your four horsemen, this is something we put out on Twitter. Um, we want you guys to respond. Um, but basically, this has prompted the question. Who... Or sorry, Chase Claypool is the best wide receiver at Notre Dame since and then fill in the blank. And I'll just give you guys some answers that some other fans have said. So we have um, on Twitter at Callis Mike says the shark referring to Jeff Samarja. Um, Mick Mar 29 says Will Fuller, which is the position I have as well. Um, and then Joe Mayo, uh, Golden Domer 03 says Michael Floyd, which is wow, that's. 
that's something. Um, I was, and I think that's I share valid, that too. sentiment of Michael Floyd. So that's my answer. Really? You think he's? Oh wow! I, I think that's fair. Like I think it's just given how good Will Fuller was, that to consider that maybe he's better than Will Fuller, um, is is I think valid. I. I I don't know if I'd go that far, but man, he's so good. And it's not, it started off as a huge Canadian bias, but he has literally developed into one of the best receivers we've ever seen, I think, at this school. He's just so dominant in the air. He catches a very high rate. I think he had his first drop catch this year, uh, was this game or last game. Um, he, his ability to make circus catches, his his uh, yards after catch, his yak is, incra- is just crazy. And he's underutilized, right? If we targeted him more, if he was in like LSU or Oklahoma's offense, could you imagine what numbers he would put up? Um, and I think that might actually hold him back in the draft, but the, the talent is there. Um, and anyway, I just want to get that in with you guys. Feel free to uh, tweet at us who you think um, is the receiver that would have been better than Claypool. Um, but I'll let you get into your four horsemen now, Steve, because I know you've done your research. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the engagement has been great, and everyone keep it up because we love it. And uh, always down to give shout outs. Um, four horsemen, it, it was, it, it, I, I share the same sentiment. It's it's very hard to uh, to polish a turd, essentially, for lack of a better term here. Um, you know, Claypool ate for 118 yards, and, and he was, it was. Absolutely astonishing seeing him work his way down that field. It, it's like you knew he was the main target, and on that last drive, holy crap. Um, wow. Just wow. I mean, Chase Claypool, any team within a f- should take him within the first 60 picks. And they would be instantly better off for it, and I think they would be foolish not to. Um, I I did. No, I'm I, I I can't I can't bring myself to to make Ian Book. You know, Ian Book had 341 yards and three total touchdowns. You know, uh, he also had 50 yards rushing, so he had two 391 yards and three touchdowns. Should have had three interceptions. It was called back because of uh, kind of an, an iffy uh, late hit call. I just can't bring myself. He had a statistically good game. I just cannot bring myself to name him as the fourth horse, one of the four horsemen. You know who? Uh, this the 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 next name that's going to come out of my mouth, and this is the only other horseman that I think I'm going to mention today. I mean, there there were some decent individual performances, but by and large, this was a this was a, we laid an egg, and then we we kind of bailed ourselves out um dante vaughn i had there has been no bitter critic on on twitter on this podcast i have been shitting on dante vaughn since last january and um you know he did give up a touchdown reception on him but that was kind of it actually in my opinion was a push off but by and large he played a very, very, very good game against very big body receivers. Uh, he even came up and against a 250-pound mobile quarterback, made a, a few few sticks, uh, open field tackles, and and made some plays. So um, I, I want to give him credit where credit is due. He's definitely had his struggles in the past, but for him to persevere and make a lot of really clutch plays, I'd, I'd like to give Dante Vaughn his due credit. Um yeah, just as a not a not a horseman worthy performance, but a shout out to Dre, Jay Bramblett, 
uh, bad snap on the extra point to go up 21-20. You know, if, if we miss that, we have to go to overtime. God knows what that game looks like. Uh, I don't know what the hell or how the hell he was able to do it, but by the grace of God, he was able to get his, uh, you know, that, that ball up just long enough for Jonathan Dora to knock it through to make it 21-20. So some bad performances all around, but you got to give a huge shout out to Dante Vaughn and obviously, you know, Chase Claypool. But it, it stinks that we are now two weeks in a row where we cannot even come up with a full four horsemen. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, exactly it. That's how we've been performing, and I think that's the way it should be. I think they don't deserve it. So we're not going to give it to them. Um, let's move on to juice in my nuts moment. Um, I'm sure there's definitely a lot of contenders here. Um, Steve, I'll let you go first. And it has to be Chase Claypool. Um, I think that it was third and long at that point. And it was uh, it wasn't the fourth down that we were talking about before, which was huge. I mean, that was that was unbelievable. I did tweet it out, uh, you know, a, a gif of that from the main account. Um, but holy shit, what a toe tap play! Um, you know, dragging his foot. <laughs> Jameer Jones had a very funny like celebration. If you wa- rewatch the the replay, it's hilarious. Um, I mean. It's only one foot, but that's all you need in college. That was astonishing. Just astonishing to keep that drive alive, which ultimately ends up leading to the uh, <clears throat> the game-winning touchdown with, with under a minute left. But I think it all starts with, uh, with that play there. Um, it's like the Georgia catch, right, where he manages to get his heel in before his ass touches the other yeah, like, like He's crazy. He's a body contortionist, man. I don't know how he's able to do these things. There's not enough positive things that, in the world that you could possibly say about Chase Claypool. He deserves all of it pl- and then some. So that was that really juiced me up. I, I was actually recording because I, I have to record, obviously, all these plays uh, in, in order to, uh, to convert them into GIFs. So I you have to screen record my freaking TV. And uh, I actually, I wasn't able to, to get a quality video because I was jumping up and down. <laughs> so, uh, that, so that obviously put the most juice in my nuts. How about yourself? Um, I went with the book touchdown. Um, the reason being is I was not excited for like anything in that game. I didn't care for most of the game. I was like, we should win this. And then when we weren't, I'm like, this is kind of funny. And then when book scores the touchdown, I'm like, all right, thank God. Um, it was a great drive, really great drive. It seems to me my memory would say that all those fouls that were not really fouls came in the drive before, which we didn't score on. So this drive was a little more legit. We had two fourth downs on it. Obviously, there was the catch to, I think it was Armstrong. Yes, or was it Jafar eight, Armstrong. It was Jafar fourth and Armstrong. And then there's the fourth down one that puts them right into the red zone with Chase Claypool. It was genius. I was yelling, um, and I think it was on this drive on my TV, design run because there um and maybe it was earlier in the game i can't think but we were near the red zone and what happened was is the virginia um the virginia tech defense was kind of covering the pass so it must have been this drive they were covering uh, the end zone they were using cover two defense and basically there were no linebackers and i was thinking like you know use that opportunity create a hole get book in there and then this play comes i think it's third down at this point yes. and he 
doesn't like he's doing his happy feet thing trying to fake out defenders but he has enough room on the edge got a good block to score and then i had screamed i slapped the little thing that i put my feet on uh, next to the, the the sofa so i was really hyped up i thought it was great um it was book had a good drive that's as much credit as i will give him i don't think he deserved much credit that game he threw a lot of bad under balls but i do want to say before we move on uh, good shout out to Cole Komet because he is now one touchdown away from tying the all time record for tight end touchdowns in a season, which blew my mind. It seemed to me that Tyler Eifert had about 5,000 touchdowns in 2011 yeah, and then was shut down more in 2012 in the red zone, but was still important. Um, Cole Komet, I think, is a top 60 player in this draft if he if he goes to the draft. I think he's super talented. He reminds me a lot of Tyler Eifert, not quite as good as Tyler Eifert, who might have been the best tight end coming out of college in the last 20 years. But I think he's he's very mobile. I think he can block decent enough, and then he's super good with his hands and running with the ball after the catch. So shout out to him. I hope he breaks the record. He's currently tied with um, with a bunch of tight ends. Uh, Dave Casper, I think, has the record. So we'll keep an eye for that. So, you know, t- tight end U is is continuing on. Um, unless you have anything else, I'd like to just get into some player news that we got today. Um, Isaiah Pryor, safety from Ohio State in the 2017 recruiting class, is transferring to Notre Dame. Um, this is huge news that broke just hours before we started recording. Um, this was uh, mentioned as a possibility, I would say, two weeks ago. Um, it was announced that he was going to go into the, the transfer portal. He had saved his four games or whatever, so he would be fine. This year would be his punt year, and then he'd play for us next year. And it was mentioned that Notre Dame had recruited him in 2017. He was a high four-star, uh, 24-7 composite Adam at 97. I was just something like that. yes. So it, we had recruited him. It was something that we could hope to get, and then it happened. We got him. Um, I looked up what happened. Basically, he started... Well, at Ohio State, he had good seasons there. But then there was a change in coaching, um, and basically some players got shifted around. There's a lot of good talent at Ohio State. And he ended up the odd man out, and he won at game time because obviously he has NFL hopes. And I think he'll get that at Notre Dame. So it's a good fit for him, and I think it's a great fit for Notre Dame because our two safeties, we've had good safety play the last two years, which we never used to. Uh, Aloe Gilman and Jalen Elliott. Um, they're both going to probably be leaving us to the draft. Both are draftable players. And it's really important to fill in that talent with existing talent. So Kyle Hamilton will obviously step in. He's a monster. He's going to be a first-round draft pick uh, in four years. Top five draft pick. Yeah. He's, I, he is Eric Berry. <laughs> he, he's crazy good. He got another interception there at the end of the game. I so was going to mention that, but it was it was kind of just a, a gimme interception. That, so that's why I didn't make him one of my four horsemen. But, I mean, we love Kyle. He's, yeah. he's the best. But sorry he's to interrupt. Tackler, um, great in the air. And, anyway, he's going to be that obviously that next safety stud. And it's great that we're going to have a talented guy with experience from Ohio State come in and play alongside him because I'm already looking at the talent we're returning next year. I think all the linebackers should be back, and that's really good because they've developed well this season. Uh, We'll have two safeties now. It'll just be a question of the D-line, but it's a huge get for Notre Dame. It's a huge fit for Pryor. And I'll let you get your thoughts on it because I know you love the, uh, the recruiting game. Yeah, no, this is huge. So he's 6'2", uh, about, I think he, out of high school, he was like 6'1 and a half, 197. I think he's now up to 6'2", 200, 205, 210. Uh, good body on him. Um, yeah, exactly. As you mentioned, he was uh, 0.97 something uh, in regards to uh, his score from uh, 
24-7 sports as a four-star, which basically puts him in the top 75 of athletes, and you could have arguably have made him a five-star. He uh, is a true junior, but because uh, he, he played less than four games this year and he intends to transfer, he'll preserve a year of eligibility. So when he plays for us, assuming that he's eligible to play next year, uh, he will be a red-shirted junior, true, a senior in the classroom. Um, that's that's experience, that's wisdom, that you know your body is a little bit more developed at that point. You've been around the game, you're used to the speed, uh, and and if we can get you know, he now he's going to have all of of basically if he, if he can get on campus in the winter time start. Um, you know, with with uh, practicing with all the early enrollment guys that are coming in, just so he can get used to the program, the facilities, the culture, and everything. Uh, and then he has a full summer to practice. I think that this is going to pan out very well for us. We are going to be losing our cornerbacks. I think Troy Pride is going to be gone. Sean Crawford's gone. Dante Vaughn is gone. Uh, so we still have a lot of talent upcoming. So that the secondary, at least on the on the edge, is going to be an area or concern, but with Hamilton and Pryor kind of being our center fielders and both of them also being able to come up into the box uh, and, and hit and tackle, that's important. That is huge. So um, I, th- this is this is just a, a transformational type of player in, in, during a, a transitioning period uh, with our defense to hopefully keep us at an elite level because we have been playing elite defense this year. Yeah, no, I think that's perfect. Um, I, I was super psyched to hear this news. Um, safety is obviously not the most important position, but it's still a, a, a key position you want talent at. Um, passing game, running game, there's a lot of versatility there. Um, so I think this is a huge get for Notre Dame. Uh, my mind immediately went to Urban Meyer. <laughs> I was thinking, you know, the Ohio State connections. Um I, I wonder, because because Urban does work at Fox with uh, Brady Quinn and Matt Leinhart, I wonder if those two guys are, like, peppering him with questions <laughs> as the season goes on, like, trying to recruit him. I imagine Matt Leinhart is and Reggie Bush as well. Um, anyway, that's just where my mind had gone. Um, something I want to get into, um, we won't spend too much time on it, but Book versus Dracovic at this point. Um, where are you going in about 30 seconds, and tell me why. Phil Dracovic. Um like I mentioned, it's you, you. We discussed last week. You play book, assuming that he's the better player and he's given you the better chance to win. And he almost, play, I, in my mind, he basically played himself out of a starting role yesterday. Um, Phil has all the the physical intangibles. He, there's going to be a learning curve with him, but it's infinitely more upside. We're not playing for a playoff anymore, but we still have skin in the game, and and, and I think to get him some meaningful snaps will be a huge developmental uh, step for the future, and I think Phil can still win now, and that's why I'm a big on if, if Phil couldn't win now, don't play him. I think he can. That's my 30 seconds. Yeah, I, I saw a lot of tweets, especially yours, calling for Jakovic to come in the game. Part of me was against it just because we were losing, and I knew Book could probably kind of win the game for us, and I didn't want to just risk throwing Dracovic in there. But for a lot of that game, I did want him in. I want it. What I want to see is when Notre Dame is winning, yank Book. If you, Book is not playing good and we're winning, I want Dracovic in there. I need to see in-game comparisons. In, in a competitive game, but not one where it's like we need to win this and we we have one drive. I would like to see, hopefully, in our next game against Duke, you know, um, get both of them in because I want to evaluate them 
in game, not like mop up time. I want decent snaps for both of them. The problem is, is I think Kelly's really on board with Book. Judging by his statements, he's backing him up. He's saying they're, they're uh, they practiced well. I mean, he did a great job to block off the noise. So I don't think we'll get it. But I'm with you. I think Phil is. I'm really close to switching to Phil. I just want to see more game time from both of them. Um, but I agree. Um, and we tend to have this history of getting into bowl games and then going up, going with the backup and then beating LSU with the backup. Sure. So I'm sure that'll happen again this year. Um, let's move on um, to week 11 predictions. We didn't do them last week because we were miserable pricks and we just didn't feel like doing anything. Fair. So we'll do uh, the, the game lines aren't out there. So we'll play two games. Um, we'll pick the winner, but we'll also just kind of loosely guess what you think the betting line will be at. Uh, and you guys at home can play along. Tweet us. Um, we love to hear from you. Um, it's it's honestly the best part of this is hearing from you guys. So I got Penn State at Minnesota. What do you think is going to happen there? It's it's in Happy Valley, correct? No, it's at it's in Minnesota. It's Minnesota. in Minnesota, and Minnesota was given the opportunity to play a night game, but they refused. Uh, so I think this will probably be a midday uh, around three thirty, probably two thirty because it's central. Um, Given that, from what you've told me with gambling, and I'm still learning all of this, uh, that the home team will get three points, I'm going to say that um, you're going to have nine-and-a-half-point favorites in Penn State. And I am going to go with Penn State to win. Um, I don't. They may not cover. This might be pretty tight because P.J. Fleck has uh, instilled a, a great – uh, culture at that program. Obviously, they're eight and zero. So yeah, that's that's my inclination. Is it's probably going to be tight. Uh, you might want to bet the under on that line. Again, I'm not an expert, but I I think you know Penn State will ultimately win. Yeah, I think that's a good line. I went. I think the line's going to be Penn State minus six, just because Minnesota's undefeated. I think that'll that includes the three points. So really, I think Penn State's a nine point better team, but the line will start minus six. I was about to give this to Minnesota, but then I looked at who Minnesota has played, and it's been an embarrassment. They haven't played a single good team. I do like their coach there. I do like the Golden Gophers because they won a lot of national championships in the 40s, and when you really count it, they're ahead of Michigan, and it's hilarious. (laughs) But I'm going with Penn State. Um, I just think Minnesota might be a pretender at this point. If they beat Penn State, then I'm on the Minnesota hype train. I just don't think they're going to do it. I think Penn State is going to win that game. Um, next, we're going to go Wake Forest at Virginia Tech. Um, that's obviously a team we just played. What do you think the line there, and who's going to win? Wake Forest is a frisky team. They're they are ranked. definitely They are frisky this year. Um, don't they currently have like a, a path to the playoff? They do. They're 7-1, and one, I think. I don't know if they've played Clemson or if they're going to play Clemson, but, I mean, they could theoretically get into that uh, conference title game. Mm-hmm. They're they're interesting. They're a team that keeps winning every week, and you forget about them. Yeah, yeah. So um, you want to give them a little bit of credit here, and, and assume that um, this game looks like it's going to be in Blacksburg. Um, my assumption it's going to be about a. It's probably going to be a thirteen point line. Uh, thirteen, you know, thirteen and a half. Um, for Wake Forest or for in, in favor of Wake Forest. Okay. And I mean, Virginia Tech did did battle us, but I think that was more so a little bit more gross incompetence on our end. So assuming that Wake is going to come out firing on all cylinders, I think they're going to cover and they're going to win fairly simple, uh, fairly easily. 
and make Notre Dame look bad in the process. <laughs> All right. I think this is one we're going to disagree on here. I think that the Virginia Tech loss to Notre Dame is going to really look good for the odds makers, and they've only had two other losses. I think Virginia Tech's going to be favored minus three, meaning I think the odd makers think they're going to be very even games. Virginia, Wake Forest has the better record. Virginia Tech has played Notre Dame. Um, I think you could end up being right there that they might end up siding with Wake Forest, but I think Virginia Tech's going to be three-point favorites at home, and I think Virginia Tech's going to win because they're at home. I like the road. I like the I like the home team, uh, especially because I don't know if Wake Forest is really this good. I think they're kind of lucky to be 7-1, and one. Um, but I think that's going to be a very interesting game nonetheless. Moving on to the big game, uh, technically going to be a game of the century, one versus two, LSU going to Alabama. What do you think the line's going to be, and who's going to win? Uh, probably going to be Bama three and a half. And I am speaking it into existence, baby. Go Tigers. Well, we're we're really close on this one. I think the line's going to be Bama four and a half, very similar to you. And I think LSU's going to win. I think um, Tua might be a little limited, and I think... I think what we saw last year in Alabama's title game is they could not hang with a good quarterback and a good receiving core. I think LSU might throw the ball on them. And if LSU can move the ball in Tuscaloosa, I'm a little worried. Um, Bama's will be favored as they should be, but watch out for LSU there. Um, moving on to the Big 12, we got K-State coming off a huge upset of Oklahoma. Going to Austin, Texas. Uh, okay, so K-State, good program. You know, good for them. Great win. Thank you for knocking off Oklahoma. I fucking do not like Oklahoma at all. Um, line, I'm going to go Texas 7.5. And, uh, and in the words of Jason Aldean, uh, Texas was you. We're going with the Longhorns to, uh, to win. I think they cover. They're probably going to win by uh, 13 points. Okay. We both agree on Texas. I think Texas is going to win. Uh, I'm thinking differently. You could be totally right here, but I think because of that K-State upset, I think the odds makers are going to make them favorite. Um, and I'm going to say K-State one and a half. Um, I, the more I think about it, I think Texas, I think you're closer than me. But for some reason, I just have a feeling that K-State, having beaten Oklahoma, which you, Texas didn't, that I think there might be an early line in favor of K-State. But I'm taking Texas to win at home, um, so we're all in agreement there except Wake Forest, Virginia Tech, which leads us to our last game, to the Big Ten, to the worst football game of the week, I guarantee it. <laughs> Iowa at Wisconsin. What do you got? This is going to be a 13-10 to 10 game. I don't care who wins, it's going to be 13-10. to 10. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you gotta go with Wisconsin and, um, a little bit more upside on offense with Jonathan Taylor and, you know, they got some hog mollies up front and, um, I mean, their defense is, is something special. So I don't think that they're going to particularly, either team is going to, I don't think either quarterback is breaking like 175 yards through the air. I'd be uh, frankly astonished. I don't think either team is breaking 17 points. I'd be astonished. If I were to pick a line, just because I think it's going to be so low, low scoring, I think we're gonna it's we're gonna probably see two and a half, three and a half points in favor of Wisconsin, especially at home. Um, so maybe maybe it jumps to four and a half because they're fa- they should be favored regardless. Um, 
but yeah, this will be a low scoring affair for sure. And I, I think uh, Wisco pulls it off. Yeah, I agree with you on the end result. Um, my line is seven and a half Wisconsin because they're home. I think that they're probably favored anyway. And when you add that home field advantage, um, and I do have Wisconsin winning, but it's going to be a really close one. And it's one where Iowa has beaten Wisconsin before when they're, when Wisconsin has had something to play for. So I wouldn't be surprised if Iowa pulls this one off. But I'm not really sold on either program. I just know Wisconsin's got a good running game and they got a good defense. And that seems better suited for this game. So there we have it. Um, we're in accord with everything except Wake Forest, Virginia Tech. Um, we think alike. Great minds, something, something about that. Um, and that should lead us into a very quick, who do you hate more? I'm going to throw one at you first. Oregon or Boise State? Two flashy programs with no national championships. Oh, dude, I love Boise State. <laughs> um, the hook and ladder play from the for beating Oklahoma. I love Boise. I don't. I don't think there's anything to hate about them. So uh, the the clear answer here is Oregon. I, I actually, yeah, I don't really like Oregon. They kind of just piss me off. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, whatever. Screw them. Uh, they're they're just annoying. Two hundred and fifty thousand variations of their jerseys. Screw them. They're just they're. I don't, I don't like them. Um, okay. Huh. I feel like you're always prepared for this, and I'm always coming off, uh, coming up with something randomly. So, which ones have I asked you in the past? I know I've asked you Miami or LSU. I've asked you Oklahoma. <laughs> I don't remember actually. <laughs> Ohio State. Uh, yeah. I think uh, a nice exercise here because I don't believe I've used either of these teams yet, and I th- think both are rivals. Well, both are rivals. I, I just don't think I've used either of them yet. Uh, Michigan State or Stanford? Ooh. Um, this is a case where I actually like both teams. Um, I'm going to say I hate Michigan State more, because I actually cheer for Stanford. I'm not going to lie. If I had to have a second team, which I don't, but if I were to, it'd be Stanford. I I just love the program. Um, it's boring football, but it's, it's, uh, similar to Notre Dame, the way they are as a program. I think they're an underdog in the PAC 12 always. So seeing them kind of lead the PAC 12 for some years was nice. I'm going to say I hate Michigan state more. I, I don't hate Michigan state in general, but there's a little more of a tension there. You know, they're from Michigan. Um, they've planted the flag on our field before. So I don't really like hate them, but I would hate them more than Stanford because Stanford, I just see as like, that's kind of like. That's your brother that you're playing or your cousin or something. Notre you know? Dame in California. Yeah. That's yeah. more Notre Dame fans at those games anyway. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think that was a good thought exercise. One of these days I'm going to be prepared with the real mind bender for you. I promise. Yeah, that's fine. Um, it's my fault for doing this all right before we record and then no one else having a chance to get ready. Um I suggest I, we were hoping to do this a little shorter, but I think the Urban Meyer debate was great and um, worthy of having. So we'll hopefully try to just get through the Duke preview a little quicker than usual. Um, but basically, we're playing Duke. It's 7:30 on the ACC network. Um, there's something called Reddit. If you guys don't have the ACC network, I suggest you just take I'm, a look at whatever's there. I'm going to Buffalo Wild Wings personally. No free ads. There you go. Um, Duke is four and four. They've lost their last two key losses have been Bama at the start of the year, Pitt, 
UVA and UNC. They just lost to North Carolina recently. Um, they had one notable win. That was Virginia Tech on the road, and they blew them out. So that's a little bit interesting there. You have mixed data points of like two common opponents, one they beat, one they lost to, both we've beat. So keep an eye on that. Um, just quick stats here, just off- offensive efficiency. Um, Notre Dame's 47th in the country. It keeps getting worse for us. Duke is 90th because Duke's not really good offensively either. Defensive efficiency, Notre Dame's 11th. Duke is 16th, so Duke might have a, a decent defense there. Overall efficiency, Notre Dame's 21st. Duke is 41st. And when we go to our uh, SMP Plus statistic, Notre Dame is 25th in college football. Duke is 61st. That's pretty much it. Every category kind of leans Notre Dame without looking at kind of the more of the box scores. I didn't really want to put that much effort into it. Um, but we can kind of see that, like a lot of our opponents in the ACC, we're about 20 points ahead of them in every stat. So, Steve, I'll let you preview what uh, whatever you want about Duke. They're nerds. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just good program over the last handful of years. They're having a down year. Uh, you know, when you lose Daniel Jones, that'll happen. Um, they have a pretty anemic offense. They don't. They don't have much upside. I think, uh, in the grand scheme of things, you'll be proven right that Virginia Tech was the trap game and uh, and Duke was not. Uh, I just don't like the idea of not being able to watch them in the comfort of my own home. So I'm going to have to leave the house for this, which is a pain in the ass. Um, but for all intents and purposes, you know, it's not a team I'm afraid of. I'm just afraid of complete mismanagement, poor play calling, and, and poor execution on the offensive side of the football. We know on defense we're good. Uh, I, I think it's just it, there has to be um, there has to be some juice that enters the the veins of of our offense, and and they can just pick it up. Um, you know, no more fumbles. You know, no more dumb interceptions. I'd like to spread the field, but. You know, Bookie just proved that he doesn't really have the arm strength to get it downfield. He he underthrew, you know, and and it was picked off on three passes of longer than twenty yards. So unless he's got a wide open guy, he um, he just can't push it down. So it is what it is. Uh, that's that's how life works. You know, we we just have to have a game manager at QB, which is what we have in Bookie. Uh, I, and you know, I know we've we've been tough on him. I still like Ian Book a lot as an as a person, an individual. It's just, uh, you know, it's it's just tough to to watch the this this down, you know, this downslope of regression. Uh, I'm ready for Phil. So you know, perfect scenario would be we, we're up 35 nothing at halftime, and Dracovich could uh, you know could put, could play the second half and and really prove that he can. You dominate and see the field and and the you know and the speed of the game efficiently, but I don't know. I don't have a read on this team. I just ex- expect to win just because we are the inferior program. Superior program. Superior program. That's exactly what I said. Yeah, I think I think we should. I'm getting more pessimistic about Notre Dame about our execution we're sliding in a lot of statistics so i'm really worried about our ability to start blowing out these teams we should blow out however if you look at the defense last game we gave up 20 points seven of them was off a fumble on the 99 one yard line that was returned for 99 yards um 
so really the defense was pretty good against Virginia Tech. We're going to need them to hold hold their own against Duke. Duke's, of course, were re, uh, recovering, I suppose, from losing Daniel Jones at quarterback. So I don't expect their offense to be too potent. Overall, I'm going to say Notre Dame's going to win this game 31-21, closer than we want it to be, but kind of what you're expecting based on how this season is shaping up. Um, I would just like to say to all the Notre Dame football fans and Duke basketball fans out there, like, fuck off. Like, pick pick a school, guys. Take your, your Montreal Canadiens and your Real Madrid and your New England Patriots. I know that's the teams you cheer for, okay? Come on. Pick one. You can't have a football team and a basketball team. It's something that drives me nuts. You know, get, you know, just take Notre Dame or take Duke. I just hate to see it. That's a personal pet peeve I have is when you take, you know, the Notre Dame of college basketball. Um, so, Steve, any thoughts on what I had just said or anything else you want to kind of leave on? Um. All I'd have to say is you would have to truly be a special type of dumb asshole to live and grow up in New England within the shadows of Gillette Stadium and be a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. <laughs> you have valid reasons, too, to be fair. It's so depressing. Okay, let's just move on past that because I'm going to like start to cry. Um yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, we covered a lot. There was a lot of range here uh, in regards to statistics, uh, reviews, previews, everything else in between. Even, you know, I guess there was some uh, philosophical worldview discussion that did come into play here. So I think it was a great podcast um, you know, that, that had a lot of depth. And, and we are obviously more than happy to engage with anyone and, and have conversations. If you want to keep it private, feel free to DM with, uh, with us and uh, – and if you do want to keep it in the public sphere, obviously, um, you know, definitely reach out to us on, on Twitter. More than happy to help and more than happy to, to have uh, any conversations. That, that I, I have all the thoughts that I've, I've possibly could have uh, you know, you know, out there, as at least for this week. Um, Phil, I know you're listening. I just wanted to let you know that I love you. And just to, to stay stay strong because it's going to happen soon, baby. I love you. Yeah, and my cousin Chase Claypool's listening too, I imagine. Which is, uh, I guess, an old joke we haven't brought back on the show in a while that some new listeners might be confused by. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll bring that back sometime. Um, thank you guys for listening. I think this was a great podcast. Um, it's helpful to be in better spirits this week to continue on this season because losing to Michigan and just having the season over really sucks but you know we'll uh, we'll keep it strong um yeah we love hearing from you guys follow us horseman pod on twitter and on instagram feel free to reach out to us um steve campy on twitter uh dilly dilly 97 that's me um and that's pretty much it go irish beat duke and go tigers go tigers <laughs>